thought maybe I would start by just asking you to tell us how you began teaching English to people for whom they didn't speak it or it wasn't their first language, and then how that evolved and became so important to you. Well, um, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in the Kingdom of Swaziland in Southern Africa. Um, it's now called Eswatini. And while I was there, you know, I'm just a young, wet behind the kid, years kid, and I'm teaching agriculture to these people, and I realized that they don't need me to teach them about agriculture. Education is what makes a difference in a person's life. If you can get an education, you can take charge of your life. Without an education, you, you don't really have much control over what happens in your life. And everything that they would want to access is available in English, but it's it's not available in Siswati or Sisulu. Um, and that, that's something I actually know something about. I speak English. I could become an English teacher. So um, I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to pay back what I received from Africa. Um, Americans, maybe everybody in the world has this idea that Africa is just filled with these poor, desolate people, little horrible plagues. Africa is incredibly beautiful. It's incredibly rich, and the people are incredibly wonderful. And they treated me so well. And I wanted to give back, so I actually left Swaziland with a round-trip ticket. I, I was going to come back to the States, study how to be better English as a foreign language teacher, and go back to Africa and pay them back for everything they've done for me. And then, um, as often happens, Life happened. And while I was in grad school, I met this guy. <laughs> and I got married and had a kid. And then um, it seemed like we should at least live on the same continent. Um, so I did not use that round trip ticket to go back to Africa. But instead, um, I became an ESL teacher. And um, when he kept a job, he got a job in, here in Spokane, and so I applied for a job in Spokane schools teaching English. And um, one of my colleagues is here, Amanda Nelson. We we like to tell everybody that it's oh, it's really hard. It's really hard. It's, oh, we work so hard, and we do work really hard. But it's like the best job ever because the world comes to us. And we get to help them learn something that they really need to know. And it, it makes a lasting impact on their lives. And actually, some of my former students are here, um, which just, just warms my heart. Um, all the kids that I've, I worked with over the years have, have really touched my life and they've enriched my life. And I would like to think that I enrich their lives, too. One of the nice things about teaching English as a second language is that nobody ever comes to school and says, why do I ever use that? <laughs> I have never had somebody ask me that. They're pretty sure that they're going to need what we're teaching. So it makes life a lot easier for us. Um, yes, there's a lot of hurdles to overcome when you've got multiple languages, multiple levels, multiple levels of prior education. Um, but we, we rapidly become a family.
and um, and we're just our lives are so much richer for it. It's it's wonderful. Uh, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about so you work at the, at the newcomer center. It's called mm -hmm. Ferris. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what that is and began to. Yeah. Um, but when I first started working with Spokane schools, uh, we got a lot of kids, new kids all the time. But we didn't have a special class for somebody who was new. So, um, you know, we'd be teaching and then there'd be a new kid. And then it, it just got to be like, it was a lot because the new kids really have a lot of basic needs that they need to have met. And we came up with this idea that we could have a class just for newcomers. Where, where it's just English, English, English all day, survival English, figuring out what they needed, and moving them on from there. So um, at Spokane, in Spokane, we have over 70 different languages spoken in our schools. And there are people who don't speak English in every single school in Spokane. Okay? And there's, there's at least one ESL teacher there for them. But there's only one newcomer center for high schools. And then in the last what, four years, I think, we've had a newcomer center for middle school, too. So Shaw Middle School has a newcomer center. And Ferris has a newcomer center. Um, when we first, when Spokane first needed an ESL program, Ferris was the high school that stepped up and said, we'll take them. Well, everybody else was kind of taking a step back saying, Ferris stepped forward and said, yes, we will make room for these English learners. And then they said they will make room for a newcomer center too. So I'm, I've taught all the levels of English, um, from beginners to advanced, and US history, and world history, and yoga math. But the best is teaching newcomers. So throughout the year, we get new kids, they're high school-aged kids who don't have a high school diploma, and they don't speak any English. And so then they come to me, and I'm their first English teacher. Um, and it's, it's a little bit crazy sometimes. Um, because we have lots of different levels. I got a new kid, I got two new kids last week. And there's been just a little trickle. So usually I start the year with maybe four or five kids, and then the second week we have like 10 kids, and now I've got 15 kids. And we just you know, hope we don't get over 30 by the end of the semester. Because um, then we start having fire marshal issues. Um, but as they come in, we have to assess what do they need to know? How can we help them? How can we help them move forward in their English? Because they have to get it pretty quickly. They're with me in the newcomer center for one to two semesters, and then they go out into the regular ESL program where they still have an ESL English class and an ESL social studies class, but the rest of their classes are with native speakers of English. So they don't have a lot of time to mess around. They've got a lot to learn, and they still have to meet all the same graduation requirements as somebody who is a native speaker of English. So all the same credits, all the same tests, everything that a native speaker of English has to learn, they have to learn while learning English and adjusting to a new culture. 
over the years, and I know from what we talked before, there's, there are differences in where a lot of the students come from, depending on what's going on in the world. Yeah. You can talk about how you've seen the, you know, the, the makeup of your classroom change as the world events change. Yeah, um, the first English learners who came to Spokane were from Vietnam. The ESL program basically started with the fall of Saigon in 75. And we can all figure out why, right? Um, everybody who was trying to get out of Vietnam had to go someplace. And the community of Spokane, being closely related to a military base, had people who were closely connected to Vietnam. And so people in Spokane sponsored Vietnamese people to come here as they work together. Um, and over the years, every time you've seen something in the news, some of those people have ended up in Spokane. So when I first started, a lot of our students were from Vietnam or Southeast Asia. New was here. She was one of my first students. This mom, she's in the book. Um, and then with Glasnost, we got more Russian-speaking students. With the breakup of the Soviet Union, we got more Russian-speaking students. The war in Bosnia, we got Bosnian students. More recently, um, situations in Congo, Rwanda, Burundi have resulted in um, people coming to Spokane. We have a lot of Iraqis. Um, so every every news story that you've seen that where there's war someplace, that's impacting families, and those families have to go someplace, and so those children frequently end up here in Spokane. As the Marshall Islands are being flooded, they talk a lot in the news about they're sinking. They're not sinking, they're staying in the same place. It's the water levels that are rising. And so we're getting a lot of Marshallese here now too, because um, we have to go someplace. And uh, we have a, an agreement with the Marshall Islands that they can come here. But uh, yeah, if you saw in the news, probably those kids will be ending up here. And I gotta tell you, when when uh, when we got our first Viet Bosnian kids, I just want to lay down and cry. Hallelujah, we got two. You know, we saved two, and then eventually we saved more. But those first two were just oh, finally, finally, because we've been reading about it and hearing about it in the news for so long, and we didn't get anybody. The same with my first Iraqi kid. He walked in the classroom and I said, where have you been? I've been waiting for you for 18 years. <laughs> he said, well, I wasn't born yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but for the, with the first Iraq war, we didn't, we didn't get a lot of Iraqi kids. I didn't get any Iraqis, so I worried a lot about those kids. But then we finally got, we finally got some. And now we're starting to get some Afghan kids. And they're super fantastic kids. I was going to ask if it was too early. You know, that's happening, obviously. It has been happening. That's the thing that's in the news. Yeah. Um, when you know that that's coming, do you, is there something that you do to prepare for that? Or do you just have to wait and kind of meet them on a human level? Well, we do need to meet them on a human level. But um, we're reading the news all the time 
figure out where kids will be coming from, what situations they might be coming from, and doing our research. I say we because Amanda's here too. Um, you have to learn about the countries. You have to learn about the cultures. You have to learn about the languages. Um, what 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 might be be coming in? You know what what situation might they have been faced with? Um, what kind of language do they speak? What how close is it to English? What is their writing system? What's going to be hard for them? So the more I can know about where they came from, the more I can understand and then meet them at a human level. Um, a few years ago, we had a kid who was coming from the Congo who um, had come, he's at the elementary level. And he'd been taught that when they blow the whistle, it means that bad guys are coming to hide, so you better hide. And on the playground, they blow a whistle to tell the kids to come in. And so he ran and hid. And of course, the staff thought that he was being naughty because he ran away when he was supposed to come in. They didn't understand that he was thinking that his life was in danger. And so knowing what kids are coming from so you can figure out what they might be thinking helps a lot. And you always have to remember the Louis Penny, the history writer, has this quote where he said, uh, the inspector says, you always have to remember that it seemed like the right thing to do at the time for the person who did it. That's not a direct quote because she wrote it much better, but it's true. When people do something and it doesn't make any sense to you, you still have to think, well, it made sense to them. That was the best thing to do at the time. So you have to figure that out. And of course, it's a little bit like uh, page 19 of the Cat in the Hat, where he's bouncing on the ball with the cake and the rake, and and the next page, he falls off the ball. So you just have to stay on page 19 and you're fine. Susical is playing in Paris. There's a lot. It might be too reductive to ask it this way, but what do you think are the most important things that people here maybe need to Spokane don't see them, that they're here, and, and there are a lot of refugees here. Um, and if you've ever had a welcome wagon, <laughs> I don't know that people do that anymore, but that extending a hand to somebody new in the community, that, that can make a person's life so much better, but somebody to just say hello, you know? Welcome to the community. We're glad you're here. Um, it's one of the things we always say to kids. They come through a lot of hard, hard times. And you can't make that go away. But we can't say, I'm sorry it happened, and I'm glad you're here, and try to make it better. So, you know, a person who's coming from a new, you know, to Spokane from a, a different place, doesn't know where anything is. If you've ever shopped in, uh, foreign country, you know that it's really hard because you don't know what's in those boxes if you don't speak the language. So helping somebody go shopping 
really useful. You know, like, what's in that box? What's in that can? Laval writes about having um, cherry pie filling on spaghetti because it looked like tomatoes on the can. You know? um, so they bought that can and then they got it home. And it wasn't tomatoes, it was cherry pie filling. So they got cherry pie filling and spaghetti. Um, just being there, being friendly, saying hello. Um, do not tell people to only speak English. They need to speak their first language. Parents need to raise their children in their first language so that the parent can be the, the voice of authority and pass on the family history and the morals and the rules and everything that they want their kids to know. If you tell them only speak English, and the kids are spending all day learning English, while well, parents are parenting and getting a job and doing all the things that we, how many of you are going for a language? You know, in addition to everything else you've got going. So it's not that people who are older can't learn another language, it's they're really busy. And kids are off learning language. So the kids are, are fluent much faster. And then if you say English only, the parents can't talk to their kids. And the kids start ruling the roost. That's not good. So respect their culture. Find out what they eat. Try some. It's really good stuff. Um, invite them over. Be friendly. What would you do with an American family who did next door? You'd want to get to know them. And uh, so be nice. And teach them some nice words. <laughs> I believe I can recognize a curse in about 50 different languages now. Those are not the words to share. <laughs> Do some words and learn some words. How do you say hello? How do you say thank you? Yeah. Exchange some language. It's good for your brain. And just you know, be warm and welcoming. Americans do that really well, or we used to. Um, <laughs> Americans are really nice people. Uh, Americans are really nice people. And if you just let that goodness you know, share the good parts of American culture and, and get to know your neighbors, help them out a little bit and, and accept that some days they're going to be having a bad day because it's hard. So many of your students have come through an incredible hardship and I would assume that maybe they wouldn't be ready to be students, to, to be in a class and focus. Um, when I asked you that before, when you met, you that assumption was wrong. No, they're ready. Um, they really want to learn English because it's really hard to live in America without English. And um, the structure of school, having a place to be, and um, something predictable in their lives is, is good. Um, they know that they're learning something valuable that they need, and they know that this is what's happening every day. They're, some of the, the chaos that was going on in their lives before is gone. I, I did have some Bosnian students smile at me and say, hey, nobody's shooting at me. Um, which is a good thing, right? But at the time, I was like, that's the best thing that's happening to you right now. Nobody's shooting at you, okay. Um, they learned to eat pizza. Some of them only know they only know how to go through the pizza line. 
And so they eat pizza, and they have to tell other lines too. Um, but a lot of them get to where they like pizza. Uh, some of them look at it but I think now more people know the pizza. But most of the kids are pretty happy to be at school, and I mean, they have the same basic teenager things about does it have to start at 8 o'clock in the morning? Right? <laughs> um, but they're happy to be at school and learning something. They feel like they're moving forward with their lives. They're not on hold anymore waiting for something to happen. Um, and they're, they're fitting in with other teenagers. And that, that's kind of comforting. How did the idea of putting together a book come to you, and how did you decide how to structure it and shape it? Well, one, my sister made me do it. <laughs> um, my sister suggested that I write a book, and she had a friend in publishing, and uh, so she didn't just tell me that I should write a book, she told her friend that I should write a book, and her friend called me and kind of pestered me into it. Because um, I was like, mm. you know, I thought about it before because I have all these stories. I like to collect them because they're such wonderful stories. Um, I asked my kids to write about different things, and they write about coming to America, and it's, the stories are just wonderful. Um, but it seemed like a lot of work, and I was working full time. So, um, <coughs> Hallie from Learn Publishing contacted me and said, It'd be really cool if you would write it. And it wouldn't have to be a lot, you know, just a couple stories, and, you know. And I thought, my, um, my sister-in-law's from Cameroon, and uh, when she came to the United States, sometimes she felt that people weren't very nice to her, and they treated her like she was nobody. And she would say, you know, I come from some place. I have a family. I didn't just drop here, you know? I, I am somebody. Um, I like Jesse Jackson used to say, you know, I am somebody. Um, and I thought that is an important part of the story, that people come from some place. And people, in, Americans tend to not know much about geography and history. Um, not because we don't teach, we say, work listening. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> We're taught it. We really did. Um, but but it's a lot of it is so far away. Um, so I really wanted to make it easier for people to understand where these people come from. A map is always good. And then some history. Where, where are they coming from? Why are they coming here? So that part of it was really important to me. Um, and then I also wanted that follow-up. What where are they now? What are they doing now? Um, I, I was talking to a group of um, pre-service teachers at Whitworth and then got to the question and answer part and somebody said, so, but what's the point? It's not like they're ever going to be able to have success in America. Uh, and I'm like, what? Did you, what? Where did that come from? Because um, less than 2% of the people in the United States are Native American. That means the rest of us are all immigrants and refugees. And I think we've done okay, <laughs> you know? So some people think, well, that was then, and this is now, and I think immigrants are different. They're not. Immigrants today are no different than when my family came on Mayflower, 
or when my mom's dad's family came fleeing um, the pogroms in Russia, or when my dad's family left Sweden because they were having a terrible drought and he, he was starved or leave. You know. Everybody came with problems and they overcame them. And today's immigrants, today's refugees are going to do the same thing. So I started looking through all my files, all the, all the stories that I still had, and started thinking, who do I know how to get a hold of? And started making a list of, you know, well, I could, I could talk to this person, that person, and some people were like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that, but you should talk to so-and-so. And so through social media, I, I found some kids that um, had moved away. And I tried to find a, a variety of kids, not just the A students who everybody knew was you know, going to become a doctor someday. Um, but you know, the kids who were kind of a little bit of trouble, how did they turn out? It became sort of a search for me. How did they turn out? I thought I was doing a good job, but did I? Did I do enough? So I started meeting with different kids, and then I had way too many words. And they said, whoa, you can't have that many words in this book, so I had to cut it down. And, um, and it kind of went from there. There's definitely enough stories to make a volume two. Seriously, there, there's so many wonderful kids out there. Um, and my definition of kid is anyone who's younger than me. <laughs> so, um, so yes, there are kids who are grandparents now. Um, which is hard to believe, because in my mind, 
he's a refugee and he didn't know why would I bother waking up in the morning? I don't have a life. Um, and then a lot of kids felt that way. Um, some people put, spend years and years and years in a refugee camp. And um, I think the unit, UNHCR tries to make it as livable as possible, but it's, it's no place to live and you don't know if you've got a future when you're in a refugee camp. Um, some of the Afghan people coming now are just coming straight from Afghanistan to the United States and they're not staying in a refugee camp for a while. Um, but a lot of the people who are coming from Rwanda, Burundi, Congo, Somalia, years and years and years, Abdul Razik spent half his life in a refugee camp before he came here. And then he got told he was too old to go to school. Um, but he wasn't, he wasn't too old. So we kept him coming back. But, you know, he was pretty sure that he was fooling us at some point. <laughs> we just kept saying, come back, come back, come back. We'll see you tomorrow. Um, but, you know, they could, some of my students were born in a refugee camp. Their parents were born in a refugee camp. And that's a, that's a lot to overcome in your life. But Eclair talks about how wonderful he was. Snow was the first time he saw it. We just had that, we had a little skip of snow come the other day. All these kids go rushing to the window. Oh, wow, look at that. Oh, dear. <laughs> Children, that is not really snow. <laughs> Eclair was like, oh, we can make shaved ice with that, put the syrup on it. And then he went out and it's like, it's so cold. <laughs> My sister-in-law, when she came to the States, was like, how do people live like this? <laughs> her hair broke. <laughs> she had these beautiful long plates and her hair broke. She's like, my hair is falling out. It's ice every place. Um, there are a lot of things to overcome, but, but once you can start having life again, where you can go to school, make a choice, have a career, we have so many choices here. Some people just wondering how many choices we have that we can make. And if you've been spending your whole life in a refugee camp where you get delivered food once a month and that's what you get. It's, you know, it's not it's not great food. But that's what you have. So I think we might do some audience questions in a minute. I might ask another question. Uh, so, I just wondered how it was, how it's been for the book to come out and kind of beat that, you know, be pretty exciting, like, you work It was kind of exciting, time. yeah. It's like, and all these people are here. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just blown away by the interest that, um, the first time somebody said, well, I tried to order it, but it was out of stock. I think it's a pretty good number, um, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, so far, everybody's been really very positive about it. Um, my editor thought it was too positive. She didn't like the epilogues because she thought that was unrealistic. I didn't have to have that talk with her. I want you to look around. 
How many people do you work with who are Native American? Yeah. Who are the other people? Yeah. <laughs> Where do they come from? What are their stories? We're, we're doing okay. We, the refugees we get now are going to get educated. They're going to get jobs. They're going to be participating members of society. They're going to pay their taxes. They're going to have their own version of the American dream. I believe that Jeanine is graduating with her MSW in April. Okay. pictures of their children. <laughs> um, it was the most heartwarming and wonderful thing. And now to have so many people interested in learning about them, reading the book. Um, my husband and I talked it over and said, you know, I've, I've worked for a long time and I have savings and I have a retirement account. I don't need another income. So the money earned from the book can go to paying back to, to give to the refugee in the community here in Spokane. So that's that's what the I think this is a thoughtful subject, but I also think it's good to contact your teachers. If you have a teacher that you love at school. It's the most fun, rewarding thing to do to reach out and talk to them, uh, especially if it's been a while. Loves him. Came and talked to us when he graduated from Eastern. Yeah. And now he's doing it. He's still funny, he's not 22. <laughs> Just because he graduated in 2000. Yes. Um, it's really hard to get people to stop calling me Mrs. Ross. Like you could, they could call me by my first name now. That we have rules in my classroom. <laughs> if anybody walks into my classroom, the rules on the board are above because you're supposed to post your rules. They're like no sneezing, no coughing, no fevers, no fainting, <laughs> no bleeding, no breaking, no dating, no dying. Because <laughs> um, they make us post rules, and everything else is negotiable. But even before COVID, I didn't want any sneezing and coughing. <laughs> and there's no room for anything but the love of learning and your family. No, they, 
And never has a parent complained to me about that. Never ever. And they have to be able to spell beautiful and schedule and use it together in one sentence. <laughs> Let them don't do that very <laughs> So do we do we do audience questions? Yeah, we, we can do audience questions, um, except for I don't have a roaming microphone. Oh. So if you have a question, feel free, stand up. Project. Uh, everybody else around you can keep their mask on, but uh, that's the way we can handle questions this evening. Could I get anybody that I didn't notice who was my former student? Notice is here. New is here. Janine is here. Anybody else? Yeah, from Whitworth. Oh, nice. <laughs> One of my other kids. I teach at Whitworth sometimes. Excellent. Do you have a question? We do. Best kids. Um, if you're ever in the mood for a good meal and go out to feast on the day that the Syrians are cooking, the Alzuabis are wonderful people. I love those kids. Uh, they're Syrian, and their dad and their mom are wonderful cooks. So anytime Alzuabis are cooking a feast, we always yeah, we know what we're eating. Um, and uh, their son, Sultan, is, uh, he got a full ride scholarship to Gonzaga. Um, he was, he came as a freshman and exited the program in three years. They have to pass a test to get out of ELD. Uh, we call it English language development. So um, he passed it in three years and then was in all fully mainstreamed classes as a senior and won a bunch of debate stuff and then off to Gonzaga. Fantastic, fantastic family. We don't have enough Syrians, but we do have a couple of families. Thank you. Nobody would come to America 
as a terrorist through the refugee pathway. It, it wouldn't, I mean, you'd spend 20 years waiting. Um, we need to have a more reasonable system for letting people come to the United States through the refugee system and across our southern border. Um, the, the last story um, that's just anonymous, he would, he would not let me put his name in because he's so afraid that ICE will come and find him. Um, but he, he fled for his life. I mean, his family put him on, on a bus and sent him across by himself. Why? Because somebody was going to kill him if he didn't leave his hometown. And, and there's so many kids who, who are leaving because the drug lords have taken over their community, the gangs. And why are there drug lords? Because America has a drug habit. It's not because the people in Central and South America have a drug habit. It's because America has a drug problem. And that enables those people to take over communities and make life unbearable for anybody who doesn't want to be part of the drug culture. And it's not particularly bearable for people who are in the gangs and the, the drugs. So we created that problem with our policies in Central America when we sided with the big companies and allowed the governments to take all the land from the indigenous people and give it to a few wealthy families. And I mean, I had to really tone it down throughout <laughs> the, the history of, I, I, everything had to be confirmed with like Encyclopedia Britannica and WorldAtlas.com, you know, because it had to be as neutral as possible. But my own feeling from working with kids who are coming from um, south of our border is that um, we, we've really damaged those countries so much and we haven't done much to help them get out of the problems that American companies created. And we, we need to do something about it. We need to fess up that we're part of the problem. Maybe we aren't, but if you if you're driving down the road and you see somebody's been hit by a car, you don't say, well, I didn't hit him. It's not my problem, <laughs> right? You stop and you help them. But it seems like these people have been hit by history, and they're leaving, they're bleeding, and we're like, it's not our problem. We didn't hit them. And we just keep going, and it's, it's not fair to anybody. Um, and they're not, they're not coming here to get on welfare. They're not coming here to milk the system, they want to get jobs, they want to be able to eat, have a roof over their head, they want to have jobs, they don't want to break laws. They're good kids, good people who are fleeing a really bad situation. And yeah, we need to have some reform. Um, and where would we be without migrant labor? We, you know, the food that we eat is harvested by migrant labor for the most part. You know, the reason that we can eat fresh vegetables all the time is because of migrant labor. Um, so, my own personal opinion, not as an employee at Spokane Public Schools, so my own personal opinion is that we need to do a lot to, to make immigration work better. 
for everyone. Questions? Do you want to talk about Refugee Connection and World Relief? Mm -hmm. I'm on the board for Refugee Connections, um, which is here in Spokane. It's a refugee uh, organization. Um, World Relief is uh, one of the resettlement organizations. So when somebody leaves the refugee camp, they have to be connected to an organization that helps them resettle here in the United States. And Spokane, that's pretty much World Relief. So World Relief is who helps them find a home and helps them figure out what's going on. Um, but they, they're only really responsible for 90 days. And they only work with people who are, they pretty much only work with people who are card-carrying refugees. They have official legal status as a refugee. Um, Refugee Connections is for helping people who are refugees or immigrants who are kind of in need of help, um, who are, don't fit into that first 90 days, um, connecting them with what they need. And we have a Refugee Kids Connect program that does tutoring and fun activities for kids. And we have an elders program for activities for elders and some ESL and stuff like that. We have some good community resources here in Spokane between World Relief, um, Refugee Connections. We also have um, Lutheran Services that sponsors uh, unaccompanied minors. So kids who come here without anybody, um, they help them with foster families and such. So if you're interested in helping the refugee youth in Spokane, we have a lot of opportunities whether to help pay for something, because you know, we like to pay our employees. Um, people were driving vans, people were offering um, ESL lessons. Well, mostly ESL lessons, I think, are volunteered uh, from Refugee Connections and World Relief. But there are a lot of, there are people who are, who are working to help um, refugees and immigrants here in Spokane. So there are opportunities for, to, to volunteer, to donate, and to help out in this community. Spokane has a lot of refugees and immigrants. Um, and I, it's one of the things I love about Spokane. So I'm just, everybody's on the internet. Um, other questions? I, there's another board member here too. If you want to add anything to what I said about refugee connections? So volunteering to help people get to appointments is 
it just takes a lot of weight off the person to know that somebody will come and help them get there. Um, it's, it's really, really hard to, to get them. We have a great bus system, and you know, I don't have any problem. My, most of my students come on city bus, that's not a problem. But when you, when you have to get to an appointment, you know, it, you know, it's, it's hard, it's really hard. Um, and just people to talk to. Um, a lot of our elders really feel lonely. Um, and I think that there's there's always childcare issues. If people have to work long hours, you know, if you're work, working for minimum wage, you're working two jobs. And it's really hard to figure out what to do with the kids. So one of the things that we do have a problem with in the community is after childhood. So that the high school kid can stay after school and do homework center after school because somebody else is watching the kid. Um, or tutoring for, for those kids who do have to go home and take care of the little ones so that their parents can go to work. We offer an after school homework at school, but a lot of times the kids have to go home and take care of the families mom dad working nights. So or going to school and working on um, But the best thing to do is to contact like, Refugee Connections or World Relief and say, how can I help? Because they're the ones who are going to be paying attention to what's being reported to the media. All right. Well, thank you all for coming. And thank you, Victoria. Then we thought it would be really fun if what if that poster was done by Warhol? <laughs> 